0: So we have a big brother, little brother program. So every senior, they get assigned three to four kids underneath them. In the fall, I only send information to those older kids. And then they have to communicate it to the younger kids. And then if any of those younger kids, they do something they're not supposed to do or they don't know anything, then we have a dice. Think of a normal dice. that you roll a dice and you get a three. Mm -hmm. There's a accountability for that one, which might be, you know, 40 sprints, might be 100 tire flips, 100 burpees. You know, you're you're doing something to make yourself better, but you're also holding yourself accountable. But the thing is, whenever the little brother screws up, the big brother has to roll it as well.
1: Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. Today, we're joined by Mustang High School head coach, Keenan Simon. Coach Simon took over the job in 2017 and won a state title in his first year. A couple of the topics we get into, how to build better practices, unique ways to build team camaraderie by putting more responsibility on them, and we discuss several different important aspects on leadership and how they build leadership within their program. I took a lot from this conversation, and I think you will too. So here is Keenan Simon. Coach Simon, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
0: I appreciate you having me.
1: Well, I appreciate you uh, jumping on. And so, for our listeners, give us a short snapshot of you know why you got into coaching. And I know that your family is a huge coaching family, and so I can't wait for you to tell us all about that. But just talk a little bit about you know your baseball career if you want to, and then uh, why you got into coaching.
0: Yeah, I uh, started college at Oklahoma State, and I was there for four years, and fortunate enough to play for four years while I was there, and got drafted out of there by the Pittsburgh Pirates, and played a couple years for them, and you know just wasn't good enough, and got cut, and then I kind of Banged around independent ball for about six or seven years, and I uh, end up tearing my knee in the middle of the season. And I get a call from actually one of my brother's old, my oldest brother, who's at Roth. Uh, his name's Ed Simon. Got a call from his old superintendent and was just wondering if I was interested interested in coaching because he knew I was getting close to being done. And, and yeah, speaking of my family, I have three older brothers and an older sister. And my oldest brother coaches at Roth, Oklahoma, got another one that coaches baseball at Tushka. uh My sister's married to the being basketball coach, and then my brother that's two years older than me coaches at El Reno coaches basketball there, so got a good mixture and a lot of coaches in the family.
1: Did you start at Roth and then you know how did your career progress from there?
0: So when I was playing, I would actually come back in the off season. I needed somewhere to work out, and uh, I'd also help coach there with him you know kind of like a lay coach I guess you'd say but I was at most of their practices most of their games and helped out and it's always fun coaching with your brother and you know we're really close and and then I could work out there too as well and hit and get ready for the season so you know do two things at once whenever I got hurt uh I quit playing and actually took a job I took the job at El Reno and I was still I was fresh off of surgery when I took that job and I was in a straight leg uh brace for like three months when I first took that job Jeez. so it kind of kind of helped my coaching a little bit because I had to reinvent reinvent how I explained things so I kind of had to think outside the box and you know because it's really hard to teach a kid how to do something if you can't show them so mm-hmm. it was a new experience for me kind of helped me learn a little bit and uh, then from there I was there for three years and then after that I went to Mustang and been at Mustang High School for the last two years.
1: I love it and you guys were the 2017 uh, 6A State state champions and yes, i sir. i can't wait to just dig in on what you know what you guys are doing to, to build your program up and and especially with player development so let's go ahead and jump right in and what is you know what does a typical week look like for you guys in the fall i know that oklahoma's got about an hour a day for your time restrictions so talk to us about you know what you guys do with that and and what does a typical week look like for you
0: well, one thing that's awesome about Mustang is we're fortunate enough to have a uh, weightlifting class. So I am I actually teach that. And so first hour is my uh, freshman and then sixth hour are my 10th through 12th. Then seventh hour are, is athletics. So a typical week is in the fall. The first two weeks we don't do anything early, but then after that, once we get everything settled in, get our final tryouts taken care of, we start morning weights. Uh, I think school starts at 830. So we we come in about 7.15, we have a round of weights, we get after it pretty good, and then so we use that hour to do more band work, abs, the hour during school, the weightlifting class, we do band work, abs, agility, stuff like that, and then, you know, we have our hour restrictions, so once that bell rings for 7th hour, we just get right into it, You know, use our hour, work a lot of fundamentals during the fall. Then they kind of they just go into optional stuff. They kind of just do whatever they want to do. We 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 can be there to observe and to we can't say anything to them. And then after that, we do a little conditioning, footwork, and different things like that.
1: So you've got an hour, and are there any ways that that you guys have really gotten creative with that hour to really maximize you know what you can do? Uh,
0: yeah, it's yeah, it, it's kind of crazy because we actually don't even have a full hour. So if you're on campus in Oklahoma. You can, you can only use your seventh period. And I think our, our periods are like 50 minutes. So mm-hmm. once all the kids get there, we actually have probably about 45 minutes. It's, it's kind of weird because, you know, so they say safety is an issue and this and that. And they want kids to get warmed up and do this and do that. And they're <laughs> really not giving us time to do that. I wish it would just, I wish it was an hour across the board. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's more realistic to me. That way, like once you get on the field, it's an hour. That way you can spend 10 minutes to, talk about with the kids what you're going to do, and different things like that. I mean, I guess you can do it the day before, but, you know, it's just – it would make it a lot easier, but it is what it is.
1: Oh, definitely. Being a, uh, a state championship program and a state championship team not too far removed, uh, you guys I'm sure are extremely competitive. And being a guy that played pro ball himself, so give us some ways that we can integrate some competition just, you know, into our practices, into our weightlifting sessions, or just competition in general.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of, that's a, that's a good point because a lot of my kids do only play baseball. I mean, you're getting, you're getting to a really big school where it's hard for kids to play. You know, I have, I have probably 10 to 15 that do play football. I think I have two that play basketball. And besides that, everybody else, you know, out of 45, 50 kids just play baseball. So I think that's one of the biggest things is that you learn in other sports is learning how to compete. And with them being there in baseball, you kind of got to get creative. You know, we play. In the fall, we will play wiffle ball about one one day a week for a couple months, just to one have fun and two, I think you can really learn how to compete if you play wiffle ball the right way. And I know that sounds kind of childish, but you know I am kind of childish anyway, so it's a it's it's just a good way to do that. And then in the weight room, we we have a weightlifting board and it has you know the name tags and what they lift and s- as far as squats, push ups, pull ups, pro agilities, we do a seven minute ab circuit. Uh, just different things like that. And I mean, it's, we have our top three. We have, you know, our overall from every year. I've only been here two years, but it has the year that they got it. So they're kind of striving, competing to get to that as well to, to better themselves. And, and then, you know, we, we throw a lot of bullpens in the fall. We're competing against other kids. We're competing against yourself, trying to get to a percentage. And when we take BP, we have a BP chart and, uh, those kids are just trying to win. The best everything they do. I mean, when they take BP, it's four points for a home run, three for a gap shot, two for a line drive. Uh, anything else is nothing. You know, you got to, you got to do good in order to get your points. Just little things like that.
1: No, definitely. And so, talk to us about your bullpens. And are you guys measuring strike percentage?
0: Uh, yeah, that's what we go off of mainly. I mean, most most high school kids are going to always be trying to throw max effort. You know, we throw flat grounds. We're going 75%, 80 percent. Our bullpens, we're trying to throw, you know, hundred percent and working strike percentage mainly and you know, hitting hitting a location, not just throwing a strike, but and for each kid's each kid it's different. You know, you have a kid that's pinpoint, he might only throw it in an area of six balls. You have a kid that you know, a younger kid, freshman, sophomore, he might only be he might be throwing to an area of twelve baseballs, you know. So mm-hmm. for each kid it's different. So it kinda of challenges it. It's not just like, Oh, I'm I know I'm better than this guy, I'm gonna win. It's like, Well no, we know you're better than this guy, so you're gonna you're going to throw to six balls right here instead of 12 your strike zone smaller
1: i like that a lot i really like the that you guys are competing in bp as well but we can talk about that in just a minute but we all got into coaching to help players become better young men i think that's why that, that's why we got into it is because we had that effect on us so what are some ways that you guys really intentionally build leaders within your program or or even what are some ways that you guys go through some team building stuff together well,
0: we start off and every year I assign, so we have a big brother little brother program, is what we call it. Cool. And uh, so every senior you usually have anyway, I usually have about ten seniors. they get assigned, let's see, I have about forty five fifty kids in my program. so what they I think they get three to four kids underneath them. So what that is is they're, in the fall, I only send information to those older kids. and then they have to communicate it to the younger kids. And then if any of those younger kids say don't wear a belt, say if we're wearing a certain color shirt or if we're wearing pants that day instead of shorts or supposed to be in spikes instead of turfs or et cetera, you name it. If they do something they're not supposed to do or they don't know anything, then we have a dice, which has six sides. And in the fall, it's more conditioning. So you have. You know, just think of a normal dice. Say so you roll a dice and you get a three. Mm-hmm. There's a accountability for that one, which might be you know forty sprints, might be a yeah. hundred tire flips, a hundred nice. burpees. You know, you're you're doing something to make yourself better, but you're also holding yourself accountable. But the thing is, whenever the little brother screws up, the big brother has to roll it as well. So mm-hmm. it's not just oh yeah, you screwed up, go do it. That older brother is responsible for him, and that kind of brings that you know brings him a little closer on that front, and then. Ah uh, leadership wise we we have a sheet that Mike Freeman and Aaron Cornell brought over with him from Oklahoma State. Uh, that's uh, it's like a seven seven leadership and it kind of takes seven points on leadership and goes through them and kind of we talk about that we We go over it like once a week for seven weeks and we cover a topic. we talk about that. We just try to do a lot of things together with the team we we have a deal at Mustang uh, where we We go to at least one athletic event as a whole team to all the other sports, and you know that's good for the kids. And yeah, I'm I'm a big heads up baseball guy as well. We read that together in the fall as well. You know, we we have restrictions and stuff, so if we're not going to be able to do stuff physically, we're going to try to develop ourselves mentally. And we'll read heads up baseball together, do a chapter a week uh, once football is over because we have some guys in football. And this year we're actually going to be reading heads up uh, 2.0. Started reading that. I like the competitive edge in that. You know, it, it breaks it down a little bit more. Instead so just, of just thinking, it teaches you how to think competitively. And I'm actually a really big fan of the, I don't know if you ever heard them, but the Craig Rochelle uh, leadership podcast. Great. Have you podcast. ever listened to those? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, we kind of, you know, you, you get in a tricky situation there in a school telling kids to do stuff where the guy's actually a preacher, but it is leadership. So you can kind of get by with it. But a lot of our kids will we'll go through you know, hey, we're listening to this one this week, this one the next week, and we'll go through it and kind of have a checklist. Some of the kids do it, some of them don't. You kind of realize who your leaders are just by that, whether they're wanting to learn about leadership and different things. So it just kind of helps develop the leaders, and then that way we're going to have a panel of leaders in the spring that can help us as the coaching staff as well.
1: I Yeah, I think Pastor Craig's might be my favorite one on iTunes. Now, now being a guy that Listens to a ton of podcasts. I know that's saying a lot, but they're 30 minutes or less. And everything that he talks about is actionable. So I can see why that would be so appealing to a, a head coach and obviously the players as well, because, because everything that, that he's talking about, it's not fluff. It's not them just having a conversation. It's him saying, Hey, here's some different ways to do that. And I love that. I never even thought about using that, but I may, I may steal that, but I'm really stuck on this dice thing. So <laughs> once you said that it, I, my ears perked up a little bit because I really like the creativity behind that, and so so let's say i you know you're my big brother, and I show up late to practice, so both of us roll these dice, and depending on what number that it comes on is is my conditioning or my punishment for the day
0: yeah, so yeah, so exactly <laughs> so it's you so it's the older brother and the smaller brother, so I actually have the I brought a picture up. Right here. So I have a fall dice and a spring dice. My fall <laughs> dice, my fall dice is more conditioning because I'm trying to, you know, strengthen them. Spring, spring dice is more of a, uh, of baseball related. So, so you have all the sides of it on a dice. So you have, so the fall dice, you have number one is hundred tire flips, two is 40 40s, three is a backwards, or sorry, a lunge triangle, four is a free pass, five is 450 yard shuttles, and six is a hundred burpees. And in the fall, you have 100 line drives for one. Number two is 100 ground balls or fly balls. Three is 100 good bunts. Four is 40 home to first. Five is a free pass and six is 30 steals. And you know, it sounds like a lot and it is a lot, but I tell you what, you have a kid do that a couple of times and, and they don't want to do it anymore. So it, it solves a lot of problems. And I'll even use it, to say, you know, we're doing hitting and runs and kids aren't peeking in. And I'll say, if your little brother doesn't peek in, y'all are rolling dice. And it's uh, amazing how, it's amazing how they start peeking in every time. You know, it's just, you know, it's easy in baseball. You know, you practice every day and sometimes we might not play for four months and until spring rolls around and it can kind of get strung out a little bit long and where you're kind of dragging. You know, I just tell them, guys, I'm not punishing you. I'm just holding you accountable. So, mm. and, and, our, and our kids, they, they go good with that. You know, they, they realize that. You know, we're we're doing it out of love and just to hold them accountable, so they can be a better type person and work the way they need to work.
1: I love that. I may be stealing that in the near future. And plus, it it gives them a little bit of anticipation to see what they have to do. It's not the same thing all the time. And so I I really like that a lot. But off the dice and back to player development. So. Player development is becoming a huge part of baseball. And the main thing is, is because kids just don't go out and play as much as they used to. I think most people would agree that that's the case. And so we, we have to teach a lot of the different things that you would learn by, you know, playing wiffle ball in your backyard. Like you mentioned earlier, I love that. But talk to us about how you guys prioritize, you know, the individual, the individual and the individual development within the team setting.
0: I mean, we're huge on fundamentals in the fall. And, uh, you know, I have a really good coaching staff here at Mustang. And you know, we're fortunate enough, I, th- I have six assistants. And I think I have all of them by the end of football season. I'll have all my assistants. So, you know, we have a, our main field, which infields turf. And then we have a top infield, which is kind of our, you know, practice infield. And then we have a really big indoor. And then we also have another older indoor with weights in it and bands and different things like that. So, What we like to do is just we like to work a lot of fundamentals, break those kids up. Each You know, you have two to three coaches at every station and they'll run through, you know, we might go infielders, outfielders and something else or probably usually split up our infielders, infielder group, infielder group and outfield group and row three stations and where they're hitting, doing something on the field and doing something on the top field, working individual fundamentals. But also, you know, that's going to help your team if you if you can do your job, it's going to help. In the team setting, no,
1: oh, definitely. So let's go ahead and skip forward and to the spring. So let's. Uh, I think that in Oklahoma, you guys can start in December. Is December. that December? Okay. Yeah. So you know, day one to uh, to the first game, and we're we're you know we're trying to get arms ready. We're trying to get ready for the season. What would a typical practice plan look like for you guys? You know, just run through a little skeleton practice plan and. And then how much do we spend, how much time do we spend on what? And just take us through that.
0: Up till about February, I, uh, I don't know if I'm different on this or what. I haven't really talked to a whole lot of people just because I know this is the way I like to do it, but I keep all my kids together still until, I think we start scrimmaging February 14th, somewhere roughly around there. I keep all my kids together, but they're separate. So what I mean by that is we'll, I'll split them up into four different teams and we'll usually have... You know, once, once actual practice rolls around, we'll do a lot of situational stuff. We'll usually have two teams on the main field so we can work something live. We'll have one team up top doing some kind of, some kind of something, and then we'll do something in the cages with another team. And at the first of practice, though, we're actually always all, we all warm up together on the turf, and then we, every day, we go straight into base running. And we do five to ten minutes of base running. That's a good thing about having turf is I can use all four bases. So say one day we might do home to first. Well, you can start at any base. I can go from second to third to home to first. And they can do that at every base. And we can do that in five minutes. So we go dynamic warm up, arm circles. And instead of running sprints and wasting our time, we just go. So whatever we're doing, we do into a build up. So we're doing home to first for that day. We'll start at 50%, at 50%. First one's fifty, second one's 60. Third one's 70%. Fourth one's 80. Until you get up to 100. By that time, your five minutes is about up, and we'll go into some other kind of base running. You know, we might go, you know, say if we go, if we do, if we shake it up and go base running up top where you're working on, on steals or something, you have two teams up there, you can have two teams down on the main field. one doing hit and run, hit and runs, uh, another one's just working defense, and then you can switch those guys. And, you know, if they're the first, everybody but the first group is going to be loose, so that first group here is playing defense. We actually make them run like one to two sprints so they can actually go get some balls. They just won't make any throws. They just kind of lob it over on a side bucket, but just try to get creative with that. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm really big into base running. I used to run pretty well and, and I've seen a lot of games won and lost by good angles, good jumps, getting that extra bag. And it's just, I mean, you, you have to get warm in order to do it right. So we go base running. And then, then after that, we usually go two, two groups are in a catch group and then two groups are doing. Depends on the day. That's mm-hmm. another thing I need to, I need to backtrack a little bit. I actually have, so starting on Dece- from December to February until we start scrimmaging, I have, I have two practice uh, templates. And that's one of the smartest things I've ever done is, so I do one of those templates Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I do another one Tuesday, Thursday. And what I mean by that is I have my practice where it is, you know, warm up, which is either dynamic or a ladders. And then we go into base running. Then we'll go into team defense. And then we'll go into, like a th- those three rotations I was talking about, main field, top field, cages, mm-hmm. and then we'll, and then I can't remember the last two or whatever, but so I have everything that we can do on the main field, everything we can do on the top field, everything we can do in the cages. And what I do on that template is just a blank template with all those on there. I just go and highlight what we're doing that day. Mm-hmm. And so with me teaching, I my, my first years at El Reno, I was doing in school suspension, so I was able to actually make my own practice plan every day. I'd spend about an hour on it. Well when I got the Mustang, I was doing the weightlifting, teaching health. I had to figure out a way to to do a practice plan in ten minutes and this is what I came up with, uh you know, talking to a few different people. So I, I go with that. I use those templates and those templates are the life change. I've I've freed up so much time to be able to, you know, try to make myself better at different things or spend more time with the kids or, you know, even get home earlier because I can spend fifteen minutes on those practice plans and be done with them and still have an organized and good practice and do it, get everything done. We need to get done.
1: I love that. And you did mention that you had six coaches and I love that you're able to, you know, use all of those, all of those guys, well, seven, including yourself. So you're able to use all of them in, in the different stations. So the kids are hearing a little bit of different voices. They're not just hearing coach Simon's voice. And so they're, Mm -hmm. they're rotating around. Do the coaches, the same coaches stay with, the group or do they stay at the designated spot
0: so what i do just so my coaches can learn more than one thing is they actually do different spots almost every day okay so one day they'll be in the cages next day they'll be up in top field next day they'll be on the main field and they do not rotate with the kids they i make it we we want them to see every kid during that day for that station now when we get in season like scrimmages to games my varsity coaches stay with varsity, my JV with JV, and my freshman with my freshman. Like we'll we'll, we'll kind of use like a similar rotation. Varsity trumps everything mm-hmm. if we need to work on something, but we'll kind of use it where, you know, you can. I like to talk to my kids for about fifteen minutes. So you know, when we have time during season before to kind of go over the practice plan, and do different things like that. While we're doing that, the freshmen they'll go take the main field and do some, you know, double cuts or cuts or bunt coverages or something that uses up the whole field. Maybe they might even go hit, you know, some VP or something like that and just whatever my freshman coach has planned for that day. But we'll kind of, we'll work everything around our our varsity practice and JB will a lot of times go with us too, just so we can get live reads. I like to do a lot of situational stuff, you know, just, so, you know, that way the game slows down a little bit.
1: No, that's really neat. I've never heard that, you know, that template, but I'm sitting over here writing down notes because I think that that's really, that's a really unique way to do it. and And for, you're talking about time efficiency, I think that that, you're getting a lot done while not having to spend a lot of time breaking down and putting up, you know, the turtle and breaking down the field and, and doing all this different stuff. So I like that a lot, but you mentioned earlier about your BP setup and I, I love your, your point system. And so talk to us about, you know, what your BP setup looks like. You just mentioned that you like to take live reads off the bat as much as you can. So you, you've got your station for BP. Now, what would that, what would that look like?
0: Well, I got a, I got a, a couple different ones. So, If we're going in season with my varsity, we do just usually one like just main BP, having four groups. So one doing live defense, one doing uh, you know, live hitting, somebody charting that, another one in the cages, and the fourth one's usually either bunting or doing base running. And usually they're bunting and the team that's hitting the last guy will get one read at each base. We will sometimes if we need a lot of cuts on the field, we'll go double. BP, we have two hitting turtles, and like I said, we're turf, so we'll offset the plate and go on each side of the plate with those hitting turtles, and we'll go, you know, we might go one one machine and then one live, we might go two machines, we might go two live, we can go two double off angles, and that's really one of my favorites, is you should do double off angle front toss on the field, you leave the plate open and you have a machine, like a fungal man on the mound, and they can work bunting right there, live bunts, so you're actually getting. You have three stations right there for one group and they get tons of hacks within five minutes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can rotate and it also works good. Say in the fall, whenever we're all not in the fall from December to February, when we're still all, still all together, Mm -hmm. we can go double, double BP on the field with one team and one team can take a full BP in like eight minutes and get, you know, five to six rounds. You know, I hate the old baseball practices where you're standing around shagging. We use, we use our practice. We do a lot of conditioning. Otherwise, anyway, I mean, we lift hard, you know, we get after it. And so our practices, I want to do baseball stuff, but I also they also need to be in shape. So most of our practice, we're running around pretty good and getting after it and using that as a conditioning. And
1: it seems to work out pretty good. Okay. So I'm trying to imagine this and it's really, it's kind of hard to do it through the mic without seeing some video. So you've got, usually you've got your two, your double BP setup and your bunt station. And who is, so you, they go from one to the other to the other. Now, is the defense trying to play it as live as possible, or are they just kind of standing around picking it up and throwing because there's balls going around all over the place?
0: Well, what you have to do on that, so say if you go, I'm going to say double off angle front toss. Mm-hmm. If I go double off angle front toss, then, so the first base side guy, he's going to hit most of his balls to right center or to second base. Okay. And then the guy on the third base side, with how we do ours, he's going to hit most of his balls to left center or to shortstop. And then the middle guy's bunting. So most of our infielders either go, so the infielder second base or first baseman, they go to second base. Short and third, they go to the shortstop area because that's where they get most of their reads. Our outfielders, they'll go to the gaps because that's where they're going to get their reads unless they need to work on a read to the left or read to the right then they'll just kind of shade over because they know they need to work on those to get those live reads it's a little harder when you do double VP mm-hmm. uh, like straight up machine but you can still you you can still get your reads as long as you know what you're doing and that's another thing it makes them pay attention sure if you're not paying attention you might get hit but you know that's kind of your own fault
1: <laughs> no that's that's really good do you guys add the base running component to that or did you guys already knock that out
0: if we do a double VP, we don't do base running during that. That's too much. But uh, we usually, if if we're doing double BP that day, we'll we'll add, you know, we'll we'll make sure the base running at the first practice is ten minutes, so mm-hmm. we can, you know, kind of do two different aspects of base running. We can even do leads, or we can, or sorry, we can do steals, leads, uh, delays. We can do just hit and runs, just diff- just whatever, whatever rounds, sure. first to thirds, you know, just you know, working those angles, just different things like that.
1: No, that's good. And are you still tracking? say tracking what tracking the like the point totals
0: yeah i mean well all we do we have a sheet and it just has all the kids names on it so Mm -hmm. whenever they come through there you just have a guy behind the hitting turtle all you need is the one coach there and one coach on the other one and even a manager can do that if they want if the coaches are busy in Mm -hmm. the cages or throwing or doing something different a manager can even track you know all they're doing is putting a four for you know you have you have your sheet, which just it does all the organization for you. All you're doing is just putting the numbers of whatever they hit, and you then know, you can total that up. Yeah,
1: no, I, I love that. Okay, so man, that's 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 really good. I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm impressed by the creativity behind all of that. And it seems like you guys just you know you get a ton of reps uh, for the for the for the time that you're there. So your practices aren't very long, I'm guessing.
0: We go about two hours usually, sometimes two and a half if we're scrimmaging that day at the end. They're usually two and a half. And, you know, that's before the time change, too. And I don't really like to turn on the lights because if I turn on the lights, I'm going to be there for another three hours (laughs) because I love, I love baseball under the lights. So we try to avoid turning on the lights if we can. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, that's what, you know, a a practice without scrimmaging is two hours. If we go into a scrimmage, we usually allow 30 minutes. And what we kind of do in our scrimmages to speed up our scrimmages is we have three pitchers throwing. So, One's live on the mound, one's in the bullpen, and one's resting. So you go from live on the mound, throwing to resting in the dugout to the bullpen to go warm up, and you throw an extra a couple extra pitches because they're only throwing twelve to sixteen pitches in inning anyway. Mm-hmm. And then that way they don't have to throw their warm-up pitches when they get to the mound. They're already warm. they you know they, they might throw ten pitches in the bullpen to kind of get warm. That's their in between inning, I guess you'd say, also, you know, throwing a couple extra to be ready to go, so they go straight to the mound. So there's no dead time there for them to have to warm up uh, when
1: you're to take those three pitchers. That's good. I like that a lot. So you said that you've been at Mustang this you just finished your second year, you're starting your third. Now talk to us about, you know, some some different traditions and rituals that are that are unique to Mustang or Mustang baseball. I know it's a it's a highly well-known school in Oklahoma. So talk to us about some of the different things that you guys do that are unique to you.
0: You know, I I probably need to work on that a little bit, you know, like we don't, we, uh, I mean, we do a lot of team building, a lot of like kind of family based stuff, you know, like we'll have cookouts and actually had the idea of, we do a deal before football games. Actually our school does it. Our athletic director created it. Uh, It's like a Bronco alley, I guess, you know, everybody has their booths or whatever set up. You know, they have, like, a dunk tank and a and uh, blow-up jumping tent area and different, you know, people that have food trucks and all that stuff. Just uh, thinking about creating a potluck behind our booth wherever every parent brings something where we can kind of, you know, where we can feast. It's one of those deals where they learn that everybody just kind of does something small. Then the whole team can can feast and, you know, help each other out in that area. But, you know, as far as tradition and different things like that, we... We haven't really got there yet. Something, Like I said, that's something I need to work on, but uh, we will get there eventually.
1: Oh, definitely. This is something that I'm always curious about because, you know, I, I have aspirations of being a head coach, and I'm sure there are a lot of assistants that feel the same way that are listening to this right now. So what do you wish you had known before you became a head coach?
0: Well, when I first started uh, at El Reno, I had to work on the field. Uh, you know, I have turf. I mean, I used to have to work on the field a little bit, but I have a turf infield. Just, and the good thing is about me is I did have two older brothers. Well, three older brothers I could call about discipline and different things like that. But just, you know, just, just little things of like measurements on the field. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty OCD on, you know, making, make sure every cutout's exactly how it's supposed to be when I am doing field work. Uh, you know, just knowing, how, knowing how to do things to save time. You know, that I, I went three years, no, two years, yeah, over three years spending an hour every day on a practice plan. And mm-hmm. when I when I created that practice plan where I can take fifteen minutes, that's a life changer. You know, and as coaches, you're away from your family enough as it is. If anything, any life hack or whatever you can find to get you where you can get home forty five minutes earlier, I that's that's really efficient and that's 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 one thing I you know, before I started coaching, I, I wish I was when I first started coaching, I wish I was more efficient with, with my time. Like I wish I wasn't like you know, it took me two hours to do this when it should have took me 10 minutes to do it. Or, you know, even, even as a head coach, you know, having good assistants, I mean, having a good assistant, you know, and I have a lot of good assistants, so that makes it really easy on me, but it's amazing. You know, the first year, my second year at El Reno, I brought in uh, Matt Wolfe to, to help me coach and having him, having the trust in him to say, you have the infielders, you know, because I played outfield and pitch. So, even, I mean, I'm left-handed, so just having a guy like that that you can trust to just give them those guys is awesome, and you're able to go kind of spend your time where you are you have more strengths, and, and that's like, you know, being at Mustang, now I have like six of those, so we can we can split up, divide, and conquer, and they can go kind of work areas they're strong in, but all they can also work areas they're not as strong in, just to kind of develop that, but I mean, have, having a, at least one good assistant is huge, so if you're going to be a head coach you know making sure that you, you can hire who you want to hire so you can get somebody in there to make the program how you want to make it
1: definitely i I've gotten that response a couple times and just learning how to de- delegate and and trust in your assistants and so this this is actually a, a question that I had written up but this perfectly compounds with you know what what we're talking about currently so you're the head coach and you are delegating how do you hold your your assistant coaches accountable to the high standards that you have?
0: If I have an assistant and I hired him, I trust him. So, you know, as far as holding him accountable, we'll talk about, you know, I'm never going to call somebody out in the middle of practice. We do things, and I even do them too, but just having that trust and having that, you know, close relationship with your assistants where when they do something wrong or I do something wrong, when we come into the coach's office, it can be like, hey, you said this today, I have tried doing it like this. What do you think about that? And and you know if you approach them the right way, then they're you know people like change, you know, and it's it's just it's just a way you kind of want to go about changing them. But as long as you approach them the right way and talk about it, and I think as long as you communicate and kind of know, you know, hey, this is you know obviously you know the this is the way we do things, and and you're hiring the right type of, type of people. I feel like that kind of all takes care of itself.
1: I love that, and I love that answer. And so coming off of year two. And going into year t- year three, what are some changes that you're going to make from last year to this upcoming year?
0: Well, I feel like some of it depends on my group. So this year we're a lot younger in areas. I have a couple kids that are you know have you know are mature and coming back in the middle of my order and on the mound. I think just younger those younger kids just a lot of situational work and a lot of we we're, we're gonna have to hit a lot more. I mean we hit a lot last year, but Last year was kind of nice because I could send those guys to the cage on their own and they could go get working and they knew how to work. I think just teaching these young kids how to actually work, you know, like what hard work is, but also working the right way when they are working hard, not just going in there and swinging as hard as you can for 10 swings, you know, having a purpose and a plan and a mission for what you're doing. So you can kind of, so you can, you know, you can translate that to a game. I feel like a lot of these young kids. They go in there and swing, 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 and they have no, and they load differently in a game. They do everything differently. It's just, it's just making sure that they can transition their practice to the game. And then that's what we're actually
1: working on in practice. No, that's definitely good. And, and it's something that I think that you're, I think that you're right on point with being able to, to build your leaders in the fall. And you guys are talking about all of these different things with, with the big brother and the small brother. And I'm sure that, that you can see the benefits of that whenever you do have to have them in situations like that. But let's talk about your personal growth a little bit as a coach. So, what's one of the latest things learned that you're really excited about?
0: I, I was reading that question, and that that was kind of a tough one for me. I mean, I feel like I'm learning. Hopefully, I'm learning a lot every day. There's there's not really one that I'm just like, oh yes, I'm glad I learned that here recently. But you know, I I try to, no matter how smart I feel about the game, I I still feel like I'm pretty dumb about the game. You know, I, there's always a new way of even doing what I'm doing a better way, you know, even if I like something, there's a, there's a better way to do it, what I'm doing. And then there's also, you know, just weightlifting stuff and the mental game and just different things like that. So nothing really stands out. that I'm like, Oh yes, I'm glad I learned that. But, but hopefully I'm just, I'm learning a lot of different things and I feel like I am.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. I think that's a, that's been a common common good coach theme that I, whenever I've asked that question, you know, sometimes there are some coaches that are like, man, I, I just learned this or this or this, or the other, the other answer that I get is the same one that you had. It's, it's nothing, maybe nothing spectacular, but it's, I'm trying to get better every single day. And, and if you're doing that, obviously, you know, the, the assistant coaches listening or the people who would love to be in your position are, uh, are going to have that opportunity uh just like you're taking advantage of it. And so I've got two more questions for you and this one is completely player-based. So whenever Coach Simon shows up and he's got something on the practice plan, so he's got this on the practice plan, or he says, hey guys, we're doing this today, they just, they love it. They erupt, they're excited. What would that thing or things be?
0: When we do our, when we chart our BP, and I didn't start doing that until last spring, but but when we started charting our BP, our kids loved it. Like they, they were like, so we were sitting there uh one of the coaches was trying to tally it up cuz we do it as an average or whatever and ha- put it over as a point total and like as we're doing it all the kids are like what what I score? what I score? what was my score i mean every kid they wanted to know whether they did good or not you know cuz kids love to hit on the field anyway so then that just adds another aspect i guess you'd say to to that or you know competitiveness and and they just yeah they they eat that up cuz for one they're getting to hit on the field and then for two they get to know whether they did, they did good or not
1: all right. So before you go, I know that you've mentioned a couple of your favorite resources like Heads Up Baseball and, you know, Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast, your seven keys to leadership. But can you uh, do you have any other ones that you would recommend for coaches to go pick up to just grow themselves and to grow the game a little bit?
0: Well, I, I would start with those. I mean, the Heads Up Baseball is 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 awesome. I mean, I wish I didn't read that until I was done playing baseball and I wish I'd have read that. When I was playing it, it just kind of hit everything a coach tries to tell you it simplifies it and makes it easier for you in my opinion and then you know the, the leadership podcast it, that's one thing I feel like that's undervalued is you know coaches go out and say, "Hey, you need to be a leader because you're a senior da, da da well, what have we taught that kid to be a leader mm-hmm. you know and it's really hard to lead, just like it's really hard to catch a ground ball the right way if you've ever been taught you know you I feel like I feel like anything under leadership needs to be uh, you need to invest your time in it. So, I mean, I haven't even found everything. I'm still trying to find new things on that just because you you can always be better as a leader. And then I think there's a lot of uh, things that need to be learned as far as in the weight room. Uh, I'm about to actually start reading a book that Batten sent me or recommended to me on weightlifting. I guess the TCU uh, team uses it down there. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I just – I feel like weightlifting is really undervalued in baseball and if you can find if you can tack those three areas of the mental game leadership and then your weightlifting you're i feel like you're kind of ahead of the game a little bit i
1: love it so i know we're going to have some coaches who would love to get in touch with you you know regarding just any part of the podcast and so what would be the best ways the easiest ways for you for our listeners to uh get in contact with you
0: well i have my email and my phone number that's about it i don't uh i'm not a Social media guy or anything like that. We have social media for our team. Uh, you know, our booster club runs that. I've never really, I have addicting personality, so I never really <laughs> wanted to get on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter because I knew I would probably be on it an unhealthy amount. <laughs> sure. So it's Simon K
1: at Mustang PS as in public schools uh, dot org. All right, Coach Simon. Well, I appreciate your time and we packed in a ton of stuff in the in the you know 45 to 50 minutes that, that we've been recording. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go?
0: Uh, well, I just hope I didn't talk too fast, and I hope I <laughs> spoke clearly where people could understand. And I know sometimes I, I get to thinking about a lot of things I have in my mind, and it comes out differently than what it, it is. Well, I just did it right there. It comes <laughs> out differently than what I think it is going to be in my mind. So hopefully I made myself clear, didn't talk too
1: fast or ramble on about anything. Awesome. Well, thanks, Coach Simon, for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.